0: Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. To you, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, But the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Therefore, the Jews started grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has listened to and learned from the Father Comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven— It is not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? The gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to
1: everyone here in the room, especially to the guests, and uh, welcome to all those who are joining us online. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm just so proud of Taylor. Where's Taylor? Um, for just flexing with that uh, technical mishap. And Garth, I'm proud of you. That was a test. I thought, will he read all 25 verses? And you did. Well done. Someone said once about our church, man, you read big chunks of scripture and people still come back. And yes, we come back. So I really am excited to unpack what this passage is all about. Perhaps you've read it before and have been confused. So we're going to do that this morning. But before we dive in, would you bow your heads with me as I begin with a brief word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of my message today is Offensive in Irresistible Grace. And I'd like to begin by asking everyone this question. When was the last time you missed something obvious? You missed something that was staring you right in the face. On an early spring evening some years back in Minneapolis, my sister-in-law Fonda missed something obvious. You see, she had been dating Jason, my now brother-in-law, for some time as college students, and they knew they wanted to get married. They'd even gone ring shopping together at local malls. Dreaming of their marriage in the days to come. The only problem, they didn't have any money and there had been no formal engagement. Well, that's when Jason took it upon himself to borrow some money and secretly get Fonda a ring. And as Jason tells it, he, that ring would burn a hole in his pocket for days on end until he finally worked up the courage to propose. To Fonda. Only when it happened, Fonda didn't realize what was happening and she didn't go along with the plan. Here are the details. Jason had taken Fonda out on a fun date and then driven her to their favorite park, a park called City Lights overlooking Minneapolis. And in, in his mind, he was going to ask Fonda to walk to the end of the park to a certain lamppost and ask for her hand In marriage. It was going to be so romantic. It was going to be so memorable. Only it was freezing that night, which is often the case in Minneapolis, and Fonda was wearing light clothes, excuse me, light clothes, and she refused to get out of the car. The conversation went something like this. Fonda, how about we go on a walk around the park? To which Fonda replied, it's too cold, no way. Thinking quickly, Jason replied, I'll give you my jacket. It will be nice. To which Fonda snapped back, Jason, are you listening to me? I don't want to get out of the car. It is freezing. I don't want to go on a walk. And then undeterred, Jason said, "Ah, but it would mean so much to me. I love you so much. Much. Let's just go on a short walk together. And she just looked at him and said, Fine, but how far? And with his plan hanging in the balance, he he pointed at the lamppost at the end of the park and he just said, Just to there and back. And so Jason and Fonda walked to that lamppost on that freezing night with Fonda complaining the whole way. And I know she's tuning in, right Fonda? And Jason finally was able to get on his knee and ask for Fonda's hand in marriage. It's quite the beginning, right? Recalling that evening, Fonda says she missed the obvious and she was shocked and embarrassed by her actions. You see, she had missed the signs of Jason's plan She had missed the signs of Jason's love. As we turn our attention now to John chapter six, verses 35 to 60, Jesus doesn't want us to miss the signs. The signs of God's plan and the signs of God's love for you and me. You see, at the heart of this story and the biblical story is this beautiful truth God loves you. He wants a relationship with you, and there's absolutely nothing that will stop him from getting this message to you. So let's dive into our passage. The big idea from John 6 for us today, the big takeaway is this the grace of God is offensive and irresistible where death leads to life in humility. Leads to glory. Point one, the grace of God is offensive. Our passage begins I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one, who comes, the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So how is the grace of God offensive? Well, the grace of God is first offensive because we can know Jesus and not really know him. As you may recall, the backdrop of our passage is that just the day before Jesus had miraculously fed the 5,000 or 15,000, if we include the women and the kids. And yet the crowd still wants more from Jesus, with a "What have you done for me lately?" attitude. They want more signs, they want more teaching, they want more food, and Jesus calls them out for it. In John 6 verses 26 to 27, We read, truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. And yet the crowd doesn't back down. They go on to basically taunt Jesus and even suggest he's inferior to Moses. And that's when Jesus drops the bombshell. I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, yet you still don't believe. And this statement is both an invitation and a correction to his original audience. And it's an invitation and correction to you and me. You see, with these words, Jesus makes clear he's not just another great teacher or another great leader or some provocative healer, nor is Jesus some phone friend or insta-God that we can call to meet our every shallow want or need. No, he's more than that. Jesus is saying, I am God himself. The great I am, a title reserved for Yahweh alone from Exodus 3 and elsewhere in scripture. To see Jesus in any other way would be a matter of intellectual dishonesty. Or utter folly. Why? Because Jesus himself and the biblical writers again and again and again ascribed to him divine status. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth, We read in John 1, verses 1 and 2, and verse 14. And just listen to Jesus' own words that put him on par with God, the Father. This is from our passage. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I'll never cast out. I've come from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Here's the point. We either see Jesus as Lord or we deny him as Lord. There's no middle ground. That's why some of the Jews and some of the leaders in our passage, they grumbled amongst themselves. Jesus' words are offensive in that they demand a response, requiring us to take an inventory of him and ourselves. And this leads me to a second offense of grace. Grace. The grace of God is offensive because it comes at a great cost. Now, when you think of Jesus, what picture comes to mind? Kids, what what picture comes to mind? As a kid, I remember seeing a picture of Jesus with a sweet look on his face, holding a little lamb in his arms. The picture portrayed intimacy, safety, safety enjoy. I remember thinking Jesus must be tender and kind. Anyone else ever see a picture of Jesus holding that little lamb before? Well, it's not that those traits aren't true of Jesus. It's just the path by which he brings us those things is far different, far different than we'd like to imagine or that we'd like to picture. Our passage reads, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh drinks my blood as eternal life I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Okay, Gabby, I remember reading these verses when I was your age and being completely freaked out. Anyone else relate? You're like, what's he? What, what's going on here, Jesus? Well, our, re- our reaction, it's not surprising, actually. At the end of this chapter, we read that the teaching is hard to accept, and people actually stopped following Jesus when they heard him. They left in droves. So what is Jesus talking about here? Jesus is talking about, about his death. His grueling and gruesome death for the sake of you and for the sake of me. You see, one of the keys of studying Scripture is looking for parallel accounts of a story and the repetition of words and phrases found elsewhere in Scripture. And if we look at Jesus' language here, catch this. Here in the second half of John 6, we see that virtually everything he says points back to the Exodus story. And as a recap, early in the Bible and history, God's people had been kept in slavery and in bondage in Egypt. Remember that? And out of his mercy and love, God decided to intervene and save them, rescue them. First, he appeared in a bush as the great I am, to Moses, to call Moses to leadership. Next, God brought judgment onto Egypt in the form of plagues until Pharaoh finally released his people. Then finally, God led and fed his people through the wilderness all the way to the promised land. You remember that? Now, within the context of that narrative, it's important for us to understand the most terrifying of plagues that God brought upon Egypt called the plague of the firstborn, otherwise known as the Passover. After dealing with the pride and sinfulness of Pharaoh and the Egyptians over and over again, finally, God had had enough. One night, God instructed each Israelite household to take a lamb without blemish, without defect, sacrifice it place its blood on the door frames of their homes, and then eat its cooked meat together. Then at midnight that night, God went throughout the land of Egypt and struck down all the firstborn in his judgment. And it was shocking. It was gruesome. Yet out of his mercy, that night God spared the Israelites allowing the blood of the undefiled lambs to cover them. That night, out of his kindness, God allowed his judgment to pass over them. Isn't it interesting, then, to recall the words of John the Baptist from John 1, verse 29, when he sees Jesus and exclaims, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Do you understand the redemptive significance of that declaration? It's why Peter would later write to believers in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, A lamb without blemish or defect. Now catch this. Thus, in our passage, when Jesus says, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, Jesus is not endorsing cannibalism. He's promising love. A love that costs us absolutely nothing. And yet a love that cost him absolutely everything. A love that says, Ryan, Connie, Jill, Carly, you're part of a divine story where God sees you and he redeems you and he will not let you go. And this leads me to the best part of our passage in point number two. The grace of God is irresistible. Again, listen to these words of Jesus. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he's given me, but should raise them up on the last day, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So what makes the grace of God so irresistible, Maddie? Well, no matter who we are, black or white, girl or boy, American-born or foreign-born, And no matter where we are, single or married, growing up or growing old, living the high life or living the low life, all are welcome to come to Jesus and he promises to never let us go. In the words of theologian F.D. Bruner, the benefits here are very large. Eternal salvation And the terms are very small. Simply trusting. This combination is called grace in theology. And this is exactly what Jesus is inviting you and me to embrace today. Jesus is calling us to his offensive and irresistible grace. Now I'm not sure if you caught it. But Jesus shares all of this message in a synagogue. And why is this important? Because it's a reminder that sometimes even those of us who've grown up in a faith family can miss the obvious. Can miss that we are saved by the grace of Jesus and we are sustained by the grace of Jesus. To illuminate this point and wrap up our time together, I've invited a dear friend to share her testimony of how Jesus has recently called her to a fresh place of surrender and grace. Friends, let's hear from Molly. Hey everybody, it is my joy uh, to welcome Molly Welling into this conversation. Molly is our Director of Kids and Events here at One Fellowship. And as we were going through this week's passage, John 6, uh, it struck Molly in a unique way. And she shared a little of her story, a little of her testimony, which I've asked her to share with us today. So, Molly, can you share a little of what struck you from John 6 uh, today?
2: Yeah, we were looking at this passage, and um, you had pointed out that this was a message that Jesus gave to people who were in the synagogue, so basically Jews who were really devout, and I can, once you said that, I started seeing myself in this passage a little bit more, and the people, as they continued to, like, question and grumble and try to figure out what Jesus was saying. Um, and they were trying to reconcile what Jesus was saying with what they had been taught as like really, um, as like really religious people, as really, um, well-versed people in the scriptures who'd been taught to study the scriptures and pay attention to the scriptures. And, um, and that's something that I can relate to. Um, in my background, I, um, was fortunate enough to have parents who taught me God's word from an early age, who instilled, um, a love, a deep love for God's word and for his truth and how to recognize his truth and how to study his truth and, um, how to pay attention. And because of that, like, I'm so grateful, but I, I know that I have certain piety and certain, um, uh, pride that comes with the knowledge that I have and the, the things that I've come to understand and the systems that I paid attention to. Um, and w- there was one particular instance that this, this passage kind of came to mind. Um, one was in June, 2016, I was contemplating, um, my singleness and, um, just, all the things that I've been kind of keeping myself before the Lord for and for my future husband. And, um, this guy, Charlie Welling just kept coming in front of me and I was trying to figure out like what, why this kept happening. And he didn't really fit into my box or my mold of what I thought was going to be, um, what my life was kept for, um, what i had been like, so carefully like brought up for and, um, really intentional in my twenties with, and, um, but he just kept coming to the top of my mind. And one day, the Lord kind of Lord and I had a conversation and I just remember distinctly that he just invited me really gently and really powerfully actually, because I could cry thinking about it. Um, to like surrender my box to him of what I thought was supposed to be my future or what it would look like, um, what my life was supposed to unfold as, um, what the vision, what my vision for my life was going to be because of X, Y, Z in the past. And, um, the Lord just invited me to do that. And it was like this beautiful moment where he, like, where I gave him my box, And then like he took it so gently, so great, so like graciously. And then he, he like shattered it to a million pieces. And it was this beautiful vision that he gave me in this moment in June where he was like, Hey, I want to take your box and I don't want to just take it and like let it be surrendered to me, but I want to, I want to do something new. I want to shatter it so there's no bounds um, to what." I can do in your life and what I want to do with um, your future. So this um, passage reminded me of that because um, I just see the people in this passage trying to fit Jesus into their little categories and um, their um, thinking and their vision for what the future was supposed to be like. But I think that in this passage, Jesus is inviting them just like he invited me to give him their box and let him shatter it into a thousand pieces and do something completely new that they couldn't even um, imagine. And so I see that that's what Jesus is doing in my life. And he's inviting me to continue to open and surrender a lot more boxes to him so that he can shatter them and, um, and make something new out of it.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that. That's so powerful. He shatters our boxes. He tears down our walls. I think you shared at another point, he said, I want to write a new story for you. And I think he's not only writing a new story for you, he's inviting anyone who hears this message to come to him and draw near to him so he can write a new story for them. Thank you for your vulnerability, Molly. We love you. Thanks. (laughs) So first, Molly uh, Welling is actually in the room, in the back of the room, and I just, I just uh, thank you for your, your, your testimony, for your courage, your vulnerability. Um, also, I don't know if you saw, but near the end of that recording, all of a sudden, this light, uh, this beam of light almost blinded me, and, and uh, Taylor's like, well, maybe that was the Spirit's anointing on her message, so again, thank you. You know, what a beautiful story. You see, no matter who we are and where we are, Jesus is calling us to give him our lives, to give him our boxes, and to trust in his grace today. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Everyone The Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So in closing, regardless of your age, listen to this. The grace of God is offensive and irresistible where death leads to life and humility leads to glory. So I think we're all invited in a fresh way. Maybe for the first time or maybe you've been like Molly walking with Jesus your whole life but holding on to your future. I think we're invited to say Jesus I trust you and I need your grace today. I need it in my life, I need it in my relationships need it for my future, need it for my family, need it for all of my hopes and dreams. God, have your way with me today. I turn to you and I trust you, Jesus. Everyone who comes and believes will have eternal life and they'll be raised up on the last day. Will you say yes to this invitation today with me? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that Your grace is enough. It's enough to cover any of our misunderstanding or even enough to cover our pride if we just turn with fresh humility and surrender ourselves to you. So that's what we do. We come to you, Jesus. We come to you with this invitation. We believe in you. We trust you. May your grace save us, may it sustain us and guide us in all ways. For we pray this in your name, amen.